Are you ready to go? The stout man glanced up again, no doubt recognizing Vi's voice. He sent a quick look from one lady to the other, piecing together their relation. And then he saw Kate properly. Though he'd been sitting no great distance away, a mere half-turn of his head necessary to bring her into view, his eyes apparently had not landed on her until now. A dozen or more variations she'd seen of this response, on too many occasions to count. Some men managed it without looking witless. Most, unfortunately, did not. The man's features stalled, then veered away from the jolly smirk they'd been forming in favor of a glazed-eyed reverence. He blushed and bowed his head once more over his book. Not terribly useful, the admiration of such a man. Still, it gave a girl hope. If she could one day drive a marquis, for example, into a like slack-jawed stupor, and why should she not? Title notwithstanding, a marquis was a man with the same susceptibilities as any other, then she might make something of the triumph. Novels and more novels. Her sister, indifferent to such small drama, had begun turning over the discarded volumes on the table. I suppose nobody wants to read what might actually improve his mind. The man abruptly closed his book, doubtless a novel, and shoved it away as though he'd only just noticed its offending presence in his hands. His gaze averted, his cheeks pink as fresh butchered pork, he pushed to his feet and fled to some other sector of the room. Yes, I'm ready. Kate's own voice had all the patrician clarity of Viola's, though she aimed it for shorter distances and always took care to stir in a bit of sugar. Help me gather up these books. They oughtn't to be left lying about. How long could a marquis, once stunned, be counted on to remain in that state? Could he procure a special license and marry her that same day, before his first rabid infatuation receded to the point where he might think of meeting her family? Or maybe she'd do better to get him out of London altogether. That he might not encounter any friends who would feel it their duty to knock him back to his senses— She'd have to count on sustaining his state of stupefaction in that case for the length of the journey from Mayfair to Gretna Green. Difficult and unlikely. But not impossible, necessarily. At least not for her. Stupefaction was her stock in trade, and she would not stoop to the tedious false modesty of pretending not to know it. The library clerk, when she stopped at his desk, accepted her armload of stray books with an effusion of gratitude such as no plain-faced lady would ever have received for the same task, and fetched her the other two volumes of Pride and Prejudice. She signed her name, paid her pennies, and emerged with her sister into the chill February afternoon. "'You've read that already,' was Viola's pronouncement on ascertaining what books she held. "'Indeed I have.' but you own that volume of The Vindication of Women and every other volume, too. Surely you're the last person who ought to be questioning someone else's borrowing habits.
A vindication of the rights of woman, it's called. The meaning is entirely different. And my purpose wasn't to borrow a book, but to begin making myself known. She drummed her gloved fingers on the volume's binding, a rhythmic accompaniment to the ring of their heels on the pavement. The more library clerks and booksellers I make aware of my project, the more likely it is that they'll mention me in discussions with one another, perhaps even in discussions with publishers. In fact, I think it very likely that publishers spend time in just such establishments. One day I may well be overheard and approached by some enterprising man who sees that the time is ripe for a book like mine. Oh, she'd be approached, certainly enough. Behind those false spectacles and taut pinned hair and the sensible Quakerish garment she...